So, welcome to Ethos Church. I've been standing up here talking to you for a minute now and haven't actually told you who I am. My name is Gentry. Uh, I am on our teaching team here at Hillsboro Village, and I'll be giving our teaching here this morning. Uh, we are in week two of a series that we kicked off last week that Joshua, our campus pastor, kicked off on prayer. Uh, last week, Josh kind of talked to us, and he told you that he thinks that prayer can be, can become, if it isn't already, the most normal thing about you. And so we're going to, through the month of October, maybe a little longer if we decide to, you know, drag it out a little bit more, but at least through the end of October, we're going to be talking about prayer. Uh, and today, we're going to talk about what is prayer, uh, and to next week we're going to talk about how is prayer, and if that's confusing to you, I guess you'll have to show up next week and figure out what I mean by how is prayer. But this week, what is prayer? And what is prayer not? Prayer is one of those churchy words. We do it a lot in church. Uh, we hear Christians talk about prayer, and we're told that it's important for our own spiritual lives, right? But prayer is not an exclusively Christian thing. Muslims pray, Hindus pray, even people who don't believe in God sometimes pray in certain scenarios of their life. So why is prayer important as a follower of Jesus? Why do we believe that prayer is important? I grew up like a lot of you, I'm assuming, uh, in a church environment. And prayer was something I grew up around all the time. I heard prayers at church gatherings three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I heard prayers said around the dinner table, and I even prayed quite often as a child. But most of my prayer life as an adolescent was tied largely to corporate gatherings where I mostly sat quiet and I listened to someone else pray. And I never really knew what to do in that situation as a kid, like growing up in church. I was like, do I just like sit here and listen and like receive this? Or do I like say the same words in my head along with that guy that's praying? Or do I say a totally different prayer while he's praying just silently to myself? Uh, and I grew up in a culture where, you know, we'd be at small group or house church, and at the end, someone would take prayer requests, and we'd go around the circle, and everyone would be like, here's what I need prayer for, and then that one person would take notes, and at the end, they would, you know, pray for all of these things on behalf of the group. And all of that stuff is great. That's fantastic stuff. I think a lot of you probably might relate to this experience with prayer. And asking things from God in prayer is one of the most basic things about what prayer is, right? Our modern word prayer comes from a Latin word precarious, which means uh, begged for or obtained by entreaty. So asking things of God is woven into the fabric of what prayer is. But there was something that was missing from my personal paradigm of prayer, I had viewed prayer for a long time growing up and into my young adulthood, I'm still a young adult, um, as bringing a laundry list of needs to God. I viewed prayer as taking my wish list to this kind of cosmic slot machine and pulling the lever and just crossing my fingers to see what might come out in answer. 
or worse, at times I felt like I had to pray. Like I would reach the end of my day and like hit my, my head would hit my pillow and I'd be like, oh man, I haven't prayed. Uh, and so then I would rattle off my laundry list again to the big man in the sky because that's what Christians do, right? Like we're supposed to pray. So uh, yeah, I forgot to today, so I'll say it real quick as I'm going to bed. Christians pray. And this was kind of my adolescent view of prayer based on observation in the environment that I grew up in, which honestly gave me little to no motivation to pray because it kind of just felt like a stuffy old rule or tradition and it didn't quite make sense to me because I had an incomplete, broken paradigm of prayer. When something is broken, it doesn't make much sense because it doesn't work like it's supposed to. Like a machine that's missing a whole bunch of parts and there's only one spinning, turning cog trying to make the machine work, but that gear is not actually catching other gears and doing anything. It's just spinning and spinning and spinning. Or if my prayer life had been a picture, I think it might have been like a page out of a children's coloring book. Just black ink, on a white page. And it's giving outline to something and it's giving it structure and shape, but it was lacking any color to it. Maybe your experience of prayer is something similar. Maybe you relate to some of the things that I'm saying here. Maybe you have a paradigm or have had a paradigm in the past of prayer that doesn't make complete sense and maybe left you with questions and doubts about what prayer is and how it works. Or maybe you grew up in a completely different culture that has left you with different questions, different reasons of doubt, and different broken paradigms. Maybe you're new to the whole Jesus thing and prayer is honestly kind of a weird thing, somewhat foreign thing that doesn't quite make sense. Or maybe you actually have a really healthy paradigm of prayer. That is absolutely an option uh, and I hope you do. But today, for those of us who have had or have broken paradigms, or for even of those of us who might have a much more colored in picture, we're gonna ask the question, what is prayer? And on the flip side of that, what is prayer not? So what is prayer? If I were to ask you, Clay, Patrick, what is your paradigm of prayer? What is your current understanding of prayer? you would probably give me some answer based on your experiences, your current understanding, and your paradigm. But before we answer that question, before any of us answer that question, let's first listen to what Jesus has to say about prayer. Uh, If you have a Bible, feel free to turn in it to Matthew chapter 6, is where we're going to be looking at a teaching of Jesus this morning. Matthew chapter 6, picking up in verse 5. Uh, This teaching is a teaching of Jesus that comes out of the Sermon on the Mount, a much larger teaching of Jesus. It's kind of Jesus' manifesto for life. Uh, If you want to have like a really great summary of the things that Jesus thought and taught, Sermon on the Mount, grace place to start, pick up in chapter five would be where you begin with that. But we're gonna be chapter six, verse five. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, 
Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, our father in heaven. So right here, Matthew chapter six, we have one of Jesus' most extensive teachings on prayer, where he gives us several examples of how to pray and how not to pray. And then he, I cut the uh, prayer off first, but what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer is given to us right there. He's like, when you pray, pray like this. He gives us an example of prayer. So today we're gonna take a look at this teaching of Jesus here and see if we can learn a little bit about what prayer is based on the teachings of Jesus. And we're gonna kind of take a look at three aspects of prayer that he, Jesus talks about in this teaching. We're gonna look at one, prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not a formula. And then between those things and a few other things, we're gonna have a third aspect, but I'm gonna kind of leave that one secret. You can kind of try and see if you figure it out as we go along. So first, prayer is not a performance. So let's pick back up in verse five at the very beginning. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus kind of comes out swinging in this teaching here with this example. I'm sure it's something that a lot of his listeners would really relate to, as some of us probably can today. But he comes out and says, hey, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And that's pretty bold statement there of Jesus to just be calling out some people in his context as hypocrites. But the idea here is uh, the idea of someone putting on a performance. That word hypocrite actually comes from a word that means like a performer in a play. So when you pray, don't be like those people who are performing as if they are putting on a show. Have you guys encountered anyone like this before? Have you ever encountered someone that when they pray, it seems like they want you to tell them good job when they're done or like they're trying to like show off and show how like spiritual and whatever they are? Maybe if Jesus was giving this teaching today, he could just as easily call out the pastors and worship leaders who stand up here with a microphone on a stage and give prayers in front of people but Jesus is comparing people in his culture that would pray out on the street corners. He's comparing them to street performers. And he says, those street performers out there, they've received their reward. They've panhandled for the eyes, the attention of people passing by, and I promise they've received their reward, what they were looking for, they've gotten it. And Jesus is telling his followers that prayer, he's like, guys, prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not something we do for recognition from others. In fact, he instructs us to do the exact opposite. He says, when you pray, don't be like that. Don't perform for people. When you pray, go into your inner room and shut the door. The word that Jesus is using there was 
there's a room in the houses in his context that is within the room. Think about the place that if a tornado is passing through Nashville, the room in your house where you go, where there's no exterior walls, there's no windows for people to see in, you're completely hidden and in secret. This is where we get the idea uh, in the Christian tradition in the language of inner room or secret place or prayer closet. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, hey, get away, shut the door, and make sure that the only eyes that are on you in prayer are the eyes of your Father. Jesus modeled this himself in his prayer life. Many times in the Gospels, we read about Jesus going away to a desolate place or up on a mountain or far outside the city. In the parallel story to the one that we're kind of looking at, in Luke chapter 11, it says, and Jesus was, he had been praying in a certain place, as if Jesus had a particular location that he went to to connect with God regularly in a place that he went that was alone and far away from the eyes of other people so that people weren't like, hey, Jesus, can you perform miracles for us? Jesus, can you whatever? But that he could get away and simply be with his father. And there in that place, in the seclusion of the wilderness, on the mountaintop or in the pantry closet, whatever it is, he would spend time with his heavenly father. Without the eyes of anyone else, he would get away to seek secrecy, privacy, and intimacy with God. Jesus' desire here in telling you not to be like the hypocrites, not be like the performers out on the street corners, but to get away in the closet is because Jesus' desire for you is to be in close and intimate relationship with him. It's not to be pressured to feel like you have to act or speak or be a certain way when you're praying to God. It's kind of like when couples uh, try to get to know each other on The Bachelor. Any Bachelor fans in here watching? There's a new season out. I don't know, but it, it just started, right? Yeah, sweet. So here you go. It's kind of like couples trying to get to know each other on The Bachelor. Uh, you, there's cameras all around. There's an entire cast and crew of people whose eyes are on you, and you're trying trying to get to know this person next to you. But the entire time, it's really just a performance for the eyes of everyone else. It's a performance for the cameras, and it's a performance for the person. It's no wonder that these relationships pretty much never work out after the show is done, because they didn't actually know the person that they end up like proposing to and getting engaged with, because the entire time, they were performing. They were never genuinely themselves. They never got a chance to just be themselves. And so they don't know the real person behind the performance. But Jesus says, he says, hey, let's not get to know each other on The Bachelor. I want you and me, let's go away to a secluded island, far away from the eyes of other people, so you can just be yourself, and so that we can just get to know each other, and you don't have to perform in my presence. And then Jesus goes on to say that he will reward, when, he, when we pray in secret, our Father who sees in secret will reward you. I used to read this and I'd be like, oh, 
sweet, I get a reward for praying. Like what kind of reward? Like am I gonna get a dope new job or at least like some financial gain? You know, like you hear the stories of like, I got a check in the mailbox for a thousand dollars. Or was I gonna get like divine answers like who should I marry or whatever? Or maybe it was nothing physical like that. Maybe it was, you know, in a few paragraphs here, Jesus is gonna start talking about treasure in heaven. So maybe it's more heavenly reward, right? So like maybe when I pray, I get an, an extra room added on to my mansion in Gold Street. Uh, or maybe I get another treasure chest at the foot of my bed in my mansion in heaven, just waiting for me one day, storing up those treasures, building it up, building it up, get that heavenly bank account rolling, right? No, we really like to overcomplicate this, don't we? At least I do. Maybe you don't. I did. I do. Guys, Jesus is the treasure. He is the treasure. I promise there's no better reward. There is no sweeter relationship. There is nothing better than relationship with him. We really overcomplicate our prayer lives to be about so much about ourselves and everything aside from Jesus. We like to make our prayer lives about ourselves, our own health, our own wealth, our own status, me, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. And you can keep trying your hand at the cosmic lottery machine, but you will likely end up eventually, whether it's sooner or later, you will end up dejected, cynical, and angry at God, most likely. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask God for things. He tells us that we should. We should ask him for the things that we need. We should ask him for guidance and wisdom. But when we get that confused with God setting us up to have the picture-perfect American dream life, whatever that looks like for you, we have veered way off course because we have sought after the blessings, not the blesser who, by the way, probably has a very different idea of blessing than we do. And we should probably get to know his heart and understand his idea of reward, which the only thing he ever really promised was himself to those who come looking for him. So prayer, it's not a performance. And then Jesus gives us a second fatal flaw uh, in people's prayer lives. In verse seven, he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty words or phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So empty phrases and many words. Some translations say things like repetitive babbling. Jesus is pointing out, whereas in the first example, he was pointing out things within the Jewish religious elite. Now he's looking at an example of the Gentiles' prayer lives. And he was pointing out something about the way that the Gentiles pray to their pagan gods. To pray with empty words and many phrases. To my understanding, the consensus here of what Jesus is kind of talking about is that many pagan prayer practices were often about technique or saying the right words or even like incantations, like to that level. 
trying to evoke and manipulate their pagan gods to do their will, if they, as if they can like unlock some cosmic cheat code to get the gods to do their bidding. If I say the right words in the right way while I'm in the right position, maybe the gods will hear me and answer my prayer. Jesus is telling us that prayer is not a formula that you can use to extract your desired results from him. Prayer is not about technique. It's not about better techniques that result in better results. It's not about having the right vocabulary or saying the right things. Pete Gregg, uh, in his book, How to Pray, he says that the best prayer advice that he's ever gotten, and this is a guy who's written many books on prayer and has been leading a global prayer ministry for like two decades. Uh, He says the best prayer advice he has ever received is keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. And honestly, through his book, I think that's some of the best prayer advice that I have ever received as well. It echoes the teaching of Jesus here in Matthew 6. Jesus here is saying, guys, keep it simple. It doesn't have to be saucy. It doesn't have to be extravagant. It just needs to be you. There isn't a cheat code to my heart. There's not a cheat code to my presence. There's not a cheat code to unlock my power because it's already right here on offer. I'm right here. Speak plainly and simply as you would your best friend or your father. Speak plainly to the lover of your soul. It doesn't have to be churchy. It doesn't have to be religious. It doesn't have to be in form. Pete goes on in his book, How to Pray, he says that your prayer life is at its best when it's at its simplest. Your prayer life is at its best when, not, when every prayer is not you hitting your knees and like asking for extravagant things and trying to move mountains. No, your prayer life, he says, is at its best when it sounds like, nice tree, God. You did a good job today. Looks good out there. I think part of what Jesus is getting at here with this instruction, with not heaping up empty phrases or many words, is that you can't manipulate him or extort what you need from him. But also when we try to, or even when we just simply get like formulaic, it's not you. You're not presenting yourself to your father who loves you. If when you spoke to your husband or wife or girlfriend, boyfriend, significant other, whoever, if you always talked in a way that was, you know, how you thought they wanted you to speak to them or in a way that you were trying to get certain results out of their relationship, that pro- they would probably leave you in the dust pretty quick because that's, no one wants that. That's boring. They never actually get to know the real you because you're always trying to be who you think they want you to be or trying to be what you think you can be to unlock what you need from them. God doesn't want a formula. He wants you. Even if you think the real you is unpresentable, which we're gonna talk about next week. He wants you. Do you believe that ethos, church? Do you believe that Jesus wants you? God wants your heart because God is 
relational, which is that secret third aspect that I didn't give us earlier. Jesus repeatedly here in this teaching in Matthew 6, he uses the phrase, your father, three times, and he uses the phrase, our father, to begin the Lord's prayer. And I'm not gonna dwell on this too long. We've talked about this fatherhood relationship a good bit over the last several weeks. If you wanna hear more about that, and if you missed Joshua's teaching from about five weeks ago when we kicked off our mission statement series, there's a teaching called Love God. Josh dives into that one thing for the entire teaching. Go listen to it. All I want us to take away from this father language today is that Jesus viewed prayer in thought of it as deeply relational with God. So, what is prayer? We've talked a lot about what prayer isn't, but what is prayer? Prayer is not a performance, but communion. Prayer is not transactional, but it's relational. Prayer is the place where we sit in the presence of our loving Father and share our heart with Him. Prayer is the place where we cast our cares on Him. We celebrate life with Him. We process our pain with Him. We ask Him for the things that we need and we listen to Him. In prayer, we are formed by God as He speaks into our hearts and that we have opened up to Him. Prayer is the place where we commune with God. Prayer is the place where we present the raw clump of lay that is our interior life to the master potter for him to mold with his hands into his own image after his own designs. Prayer is the place where we drink our fill of the spirit of God that we may go out and bless others because springs of living water have welled up within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the place where the great gardener tills the soil of our soul and plants a garden within us that bears the fruit of the Spirit to share with those and to bless the lives of those around us. In prayer, we are formed by God. In prayer, we receive his love so that we can go out and share that love with others. And this all happens in dialogue with God in what we call prayer. And sometimes that dialogue is completely silent. There's a story about Mother Teresa uh, that I first heard in a teaching by John Mark Comer, which what would be a teaching of mine if I didn't talk about John Mark Comer? Uh, but he, <laughs> I heard this story where uh, Mother Teresa was being interviewed by Dan Rather. And Dan asks her, he says, so when you pray, what do you say to God? And she replied, oh, I don't say anything, I listen. To which he responded, okay, well, when God speaks to you, what does he say? And she said, he doesn't say anything, he listens. And if you don't understand that, I'm sorry, I I can't explain it to you. When I learned that I don't have to fill every second of my prayer life with my own speech, that changed my life. That I could just sit silently in the presence of God was a radically new idea to me. And then when I learned that not all of my silence is going to be filled with 
prophecy. That was another big lesson. Now, I don't believe that that's all that prayer is. I believe you should talk to God, and I believe God does talk to you, whether you believe that or not. But prayer is much more complex and diverse than we like to make it out to be. It's like a kaleidoscope that gives a new image every time, a new perspective every time we turn that dial and get new combinations of colors as we behold the glory of God. Or Pete Gregg again in How to Pray in the intro to that book, he describes prayer as a vast and diverse landscape to explore. And some people are more at home in certain environments within that landscape. And some people camp out in certain environments in that landscape to dwell intimately with God. So our plan with kind of the rest of this series is to survey that landscape, explore all that God has in store for us within the intimacy of our prayer closet. And each week we're gonna give different practices, prayer practices for you guys to step into together here on Sunday mornings, uh, as well as individually throughout the week. And each of these practices are not formulas. It's not a one, two, three step for you. It's more like dance steps for you to take and interpret and make your own as you grow in your prayer life and as you grow in your intimacy of relationship with Jesus. So here's the practice for this week. Find your inner room. Find your prayer closet. Find your secret place. And choose a time of day that works best for you and go and meet God there in secret and in prayer. To just show up and have no expectations. This could be a room in your house. It could be a closet in your bedroom. For me, it's a, I, we have a really small home. I don't have a separate room that I can go in really. So I have a chair in my living room that I turn the wrong way when I sit in it to pray. It could be a pillow from your couch that you put down on your living room floor to sit on. For George Washington Carver, it was an early morning walk in the woods was where he went to commune with God. Wherever it is, decide on it. Stick with it and commit to meeting God there on a daily basis. Ideally once a day, ideally at the same time, Life's crazy, we get that. And there's infinite grace from your father who loves you. He just wants you and time with you. And try, maybe try to make it special in some way. Like I said, I turn my chair, make it a little different than just the normal day-to-day. Some people light candles or put on some mood lighting, whatever. Make it special as you meet God there. And when you get there, just open your heart to God. You don't have to perform. You don't have to use the right words. You don't have to use a formula. And it's actually better that you don't. Just speak genuinely and sincerely with God because he wants deep relationship with you. And then just leave space for him to speak back to you. And before any of you kind of say, well, God doesn't speak to me, he does. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. We, uh, by the way, we have intergenerational ministry here. We've got kids in the back. We love them. Let that bring a smile to your face, not an annoyance to you. Um, all right. Uh, so, uh, 
lost my place in my notes. Here we go. And before you say, God doesn't speak to me, he does. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And it's a really cool picture. I don't know if you guys know how shepherds shepherd their flock, but typically shepherds walk behind their sheep and direct them with their voice. That is the primary way that shepherds direct. Jesus calls himself a good shepherd. And sheep only listen to the voice of their shepherd. If there were a flock of sheep in here and I came up and I tried to like direct them with my voice, they would not listen to me because I am not their shepherd. But they can learn a new voice over time. And it, but it takes time and it takes practice just as we can learn the voice of a new shepherd over time. But it takes showing up, taking time and practicing hearing his voice. Maybe you've been listening to the voice of the wrong shepherd and you need to learn the voice of Jesus. Or maybe you do know his voice, you just don't actually recognize it. I think that's the more likely uh, answer. You know God's voice better than you think you do. You just don't recognize it yet. To go... Sit before God. It does require forming a habit like Josh talked about last week. So find your place of prayer. Go and sit before God and ask for his presence and his voice to speak and speak to him as you would a friend. Meet with him like Moses met with him in the tent of meeting. Prayer is the place where we come before our heavenly father simply to dwell in his presence seeking him for him, not for recognition, not for gain, for his presence is the reward and his desire is to walk intimately with you. If you don't remember anything else that I said today, take away Pete Gregg's advice of keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. Give that a try this week as you go, as you pray. And remember that Jesus desires an intimate relationship with you, that he desires you. For communion, we're going to circle up together in groups uh, and pray. We got a communion slide with a few prompts on it. So first, you can circle up or there's we often circle up here, like literally move the chairs and circle up, but there's never any pressure if you don't feel like you're in the place to circle up and do these things with people, take time and do them on your own. That's a-okay. But um, so for communion, we're just going to ask yourself the question, where is your place of meeting with God? And what time will you show up there? And then after you guys kind of take a few minutes to think through those two questions, I invite you to circle up together and just pray together. Pray alone or in a group, asking Jesus for more of his presence and deeper relationship with him, both in your prayer life individually and within our church community. And then, once you guys are done kind of praying together, take communion together. We've got communion in bowls on the center aisle under every other chair on the center aisle. So pass those around together, pray together, take communion together, and then I'll come back up and wrap us up in a prayer before our time of closing worship.